All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, Ignite City Kids, thank you for being here. Thank you for having a blast with us. We love you. You guys are out of here. Go have a blast. Hey, if everyone can let them know, we love Ignite City Kids. You're not the church of the future, you're the church of today. We're so thankful you're part of our community. All right. And then for students, uh, tonight, uh, youth group's meeting back up here, right here at Western, 5.30. So if you can be here, we'd love to see you here. Um, real quick, I was, I was supposed to be gone this weekend, uh, and, but something happened in Southern California that I never thought that I would say. Uh, there was a blizzard warning that closed all of the roads out of Southern California into where I was supposed to go. So on Friday morning, about 8.30 or so, I had to, I had to contact the camp and say, hey, I can't make it. And I, I, one reason I love this camp so much is the guy's first response wasn't anger, wasn't terror. All he said was, well, I guess God has a better plan. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of hurtful because I thought that you'd like really be bummed I couldn't be there. But I, I mean, he's, he's been like that the whole time. And so when I checked in on, checked in on him yesterday, um, I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, God's moving and we have no power. And I thought, wow, I'm really glad I'm not there. Uh, so no, no, well, I can't, I really am. Um, and so I was thinking through it on Friday. I thought, well, God, am I supposed to preach or not? But Greg's already planned, and that's what like the Lord said. Just I want him to teach, and it gives me a week a weekend off. I'm still not done with my cough. It's still hanging on. This sucker is just. I think it's. I think it's now indwelt in my soul a little bit, and so it gives me a, a one week off. But I am so excited that he's here. I think I have this right, Greg. And if I'm not, just come up and convict me afterwards. I think the first time I met him, I'm thinking was about 30 years ago when I was a senior in high school. And after school, my youth pastor became a teacher at Western. Um, and so he and I would do weightlifting. Well, back in the day, I wasn't the, Adon the Adonis that you see before you now. I was about, a, about, I was about a buck 65. I could barely get the bar up. And so I'm like, I'm going to weightlift because I'm going to get jacked. But I had no muscle. It was just all skin and bones. And so I remember one time Greg came in and he and, he and my youth pastor, his name was Tony, uh, they, were, they were good friends, and uh, they would make fun of me a little bit, just enough to kind of get me mad so I could get the bar up. Um, but it's from that point when I first met him and then gotten to know him over the years and watching his impact on students uh, for, the, for Jesus and his ability to teach the word and to bring truth and grace at the same time. Um, guys, that's a hard dance um, to be in. It's easy to go all grace, and it's easy to go all truth, uh, but no joke, he can bring the truth, and then I was trying to think, how, do I, how, did, how, how would I describe what it's like? It's when he brings the truth dripping in grace, it's like, it's like your, your soul was massaged by a koala bear and you like it. Like it's really, it's like, oh my gosh, keep giving me more, keep giving me more. But the impact that he's had on students for 30 plus years has just been absolutely mind-blowing to me. I did student ministry for 17 years. And I did young adults for another five. And so he far outlasted my impact on students. And so when I was thinking, who is it, God, that you'd like to come in to, to bless our people? Um, he was one of the ones that came to my mind first for today. Um, so if you don't mind, let's pray. Um, and then I'm going to have him come up and join us. And as, as, right before we go into prayer, my prayer for you this morning, I have the one o'clock shift in our 24-hour prayer time. Um, and so this morning, I just started praying um, Colossians 1.18. Um, about Christ having preeminence, that he have preeminence, he'd have the first place in our lives. And I started asking the Lord, I was like, God, what would it look like if you had preeminence in every single person's life? Not just, hey, you're, he's first and there's a couple things that are close. I mean, the only first place in our lives. 
What would our church community look like? What would the communities around us look like as we're completely focused in on Jesus and we look different? I think that's the other part that hit me. Friends, I think, I think we need to get away from this idea that we as Christians, we need to make sure the world knows that we're not that different from them. We are that different. We're supposed to be that different. Not superior in any way, but different. We've been saved. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We set ourselves apart to live righteous and holy lives before God, wanting to serve others and bring them to Jesus. Friends, we're supposed to be different so that people can see the difference. So let's never apologize for that. So that was my prayer. About 1.30 this morning, I was like, God, would you just make preeminence? You be preeminent in our lives. What would it look like if every single person in our church community made you preeminent on a daily basis, never letting anything compete? So I just want to pray that over us, if you don't mind. Pray Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and then have Greg come up, and you'll welcome him up like you always do, okay, just warmly and thankfully. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the sweet times that I've had with you early in the morning to just listen and to pray, and today was just so special that, God, I needed to confess, just come before us, like, God, I feel like there's a couple things that maybe compete with you, and I don't want anything like that to happen, that I want you preeminent to the first place, the only first place. I want you to have sole right to it, God. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would move in our community, that the preeminence of Christ would be our reality, and every day we're committing to that, that every day it's this desire to make you first because you're worthy and you're the only one that deserves that place. And now, Father, I pray that as we open your word, God, I'm so thankful that I get to just sit and listen and sit under someone's teaching and be blessed and challenged, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint Greg for an incredible time in your word, that you would convict us and encourage us, that you would exhort us, that you'd confront us, and then thank you for the grace that you'll provide, God, that we could live the life that you want us to live, but experience the life that you want us to experience as well. God, you are so good, and you are so great, and Jesus, you're so worth it, and we love you, and we thank you for rain. We prayed for it not too many months ago. And you, you spoiled us. And so, God, we thank you for your provisions once again coming through and being faithful. And so, God, bless this time for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says amen. All right. Friends, if you do me a favor, could you wake, welcome up Greg Lether for me? Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, well, I feel honored to be here um, Brian could bench press me now, I believe, right? <laughs> I'm a skinny guy, but he's a stud. But I remember Brian when I was like teaching in the late 80s. He, over there at the high school, I went and he was on the football field, this tall, shock of red hair, uh, gangly guy out there being, wow! And, and he was the homecoming king, right? And, and yeah, right, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. But just watching him over the years, right, him coming to Western Christian and Speaking to our students, um, anointed is the word, right? And so you're blessed to have him. Um, and thank you, Brian. Thanks for serving, for being an example to me. Okay, you know that. Um, 
I'm a high school teacher, uh, 36 years, right? And uh, all that to say is, so today, it may be a little different sermon. Just imagine you're in a high school class, okay? It could be a little spastic, a little, wow, we got to keep them active. But I, I do it, I say this because the message I bring, I, I'm speaking to my own heart today. You know that. that, that when I speak, I, I come and I'm not bringing anything new. Brian's a great teacher, but I bring hopefully a word of remembrance to you. A word of encouragement, um, and so that's what I'm praying. Um, so let me pray for us to, Lord, speak through me a broken vessel. And, and Lord, if it's for one heart here, Lord, then um, it's worth it, Lord, because you left the 99 to go after just that one. And so, Lord, today I pray for that one or maybe more that would be encouraged. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting me do this and be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, I'll start with a little story quick. Um, when my daughter Grace, she's at CBU now, loves it out there. But when she was two years old, I took her camping right up in the mountains. My son was a baby and I took her and she needed to go to the bathroom. She needed to go. Um, so I took her to that outhouse, you guys. Now she was little, if she's gonna sit down, she's gonna fall down in that hole more than likely, right? So I remember literally I got down with her and, and she starts to do her little poo-poo, right? And she's looking at me, and you guys, she begins, as I'm holding her hand, she says, Dad, yes, Grace, she goes, I've been thinking a lot about God and Jesus lately, and I was like, oh man, it was hilarious, you guys, I mean, I'm like, and I'm like, really, Grace? I'm like, what have you been thinking about? She says, they're pretty powerful, aren't they? And I was like, yeah. You guys, you know, I told that story when Grace was in middle school, at this school, and I remember, yeah, all the women are saying, oh, great, right? I didn't know. I thought everybody was laughing. I thought, oh, this is great. And then I look at my daughter. You guys, her head was like, I'm like, oh, no. She never let me forget it. So I actually talked to her yesterday and said, Grace, do I have permission to tell that story? She goes, okay, Dad. I'm older now. It's all right. So I got permission. But I say that about this is because Grace had a true view of God, right? She had a true perspective of, of who God was. He's powerful, right? And David in the Bible often had a true perspective of God. Listen to what he said in Psalm 34, 18. He said, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Maybe today you're brokenhearted, you're crushed. I don't know, but you have a sense that God is with you. You have a true perspective on who God is, that he's near. He loves you. Now, let me tell you another quick story about Grace when she was just a little baby, and I took her to the doctors, you guys. I took her there, and, and she's... Loves me. There's my little girl on the table. I can't talk yet. I love her. I would die for her. You know that. And all of a sudden, the doctor walks in with this big old needle, right? And she uh, just... And then you see Grace. She begins to scream, you guys, and she's crying. I begin to cry, too. I'm crying, and I know she can't understand me. But she's crying, and she's basically saying to me, if you loved me, you'd stop this man from hurting me, right? And I can't tell her, but I'm trying to say, Grace, I have to let this man hurt you because I love you so you won't get sick. See, the biggest struggle I see with my students is the problem of suffering and pain that they face in life. And they think, God, where, where are you? So here, the same man who wrote, you're close to the brokenhearted, listen to what David wrote in Psalm 13. He said, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Do you ever feel like that? I do. Christians, we don't need to be stoic. Jesus wept, right? But I do believe 
that amidst our struggles, that we can be people of hope. If there's hope for the brokenhearted, wherever you are today, however your heart might be hurting, in a world right now that's hopeless, right? Look around. More anxiety than I've ever seen in students right now with COVID, right? With, with financial collapse, war, anxiety, day-to-day pressures. But I believe that we can stand out, just like Brian said, that we can be people of hope in a hopeless world, even amidst our own heartbreak. Because some of you in here, I know, you have experienced heartbreak even recently, even right now. I have in different ways. And so as a teacher, I'm going to teach you two lessons. First, a quick math lesson, okay? I, I was a teacher when they had chalkboards back in the 80s, so I brought my um, little board here. You're not going to be able to see. I'll do my best. But let me ask you, check your Bible trivia here. What's the shortest chapter in the Bible? It's only two verses. Shortest chapter. It's in the book of Psalms. I would give you a Jolly Rancher if you get it right. Come on. Anybody? Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all you people. Praise him, your friends, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Praise the Lord. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Yes. All right, Jolly Rancher, we'll pretend. Good catch. Psalm 119, 176 verses. Do you know that verses and chapters came in a long time after the Bible was written? They put them in there so you can remember. So I don't believe this is by accident. But do you know the exact middle chapter of the Bible is Psalm 118? Here it is. Housed right in between the shortest and longest chapter of the Bible. See my little. Is Psalm 118. There are 594 chapters before it. There are 594 after it. When you add, let's do some math here. 594 plus 594, what do you get? I heard it. Good. 1,188. Very good. Do you know that 1,188, that Psalm 118 verse 8 is the exact middle verse of the Bible? Students love this stuff. And guess what? Guess what it says? It is better to put your trust in God than to put your hope in man. I don't think that's by accident. I think it's truth. But the world will tell us, right? Oh, put your hope in in these things. So now I want to tell you a quick English lesson. Okay? I have a master's in English, so I'm not as think as you dumb I is or something like that. Let me ask you. For and in... For and in, what parts of speech are for and in? For and in. Anybody? Starts with, yes, way to go. Another jolly rancher, all right? Preposition, for and in, okay? And I think that, let me explain. We all have things, these are important words they can actually affect your life because we all have things that we hope for, right? We hope for marriage, for family, for success, for doing well. All these things we hope for, they're good, they're not bad, but the question is that, that I have is, they can't be what you put your hope in. You see the difference, right? You can hope for these things, but to not put your hope in. Let me explain. Let me give you a quick example. Just the other night, I was in my pajamas, ready for Friday night, just to ah, relax after the week, some popcorn. Oh, and all of a sudden, I get a call, and it's my dad. My dad is in a wheelchair in his late 80s without a leg. And he doesn't talk. He says, Greg... Your mom fell, and I think she might have broke her hip. There's nobody else around. He goes, I can hear her crying, right? My sweet mom. I go there. We're going to get right. So I hoped for a night of relaxation, and, but I can't put my hope in that. It was quickly gone, just like that, right? Let's bring it even closer to home. How about students of mine, right? I could go on. Um, 
there was a student I had at this campus by the name of Rashidi Wheeler, the best athlete ever to come through Western Christian, besides Brian Holland, of course. But other than that, right, this guy, he was great. In eighth grade, he could, like, literally, I had a hard time beating him in a race. He went on to play Division I football at Northwestern University. He was going to get drafted by the pros. He was a senior. He came. He was very humble, you guys, very humble. And he said to me, not in a haughty way, but, Mr. Lether, when I get to the pros, I want to give back to Western Christian. Because this place impacted my life in such a deep, great way. That very next August in practice, that very first day of practice, he had a massive asthma attack on the field. And he died right there at age 21 on the football field as a senior in college. His hope was for, right, making it to the NFL. But his hope ultimately was in Christ alone, right? He told me that. In fact, if you walk down this um, over here by the office, there's a plaque that we put together for him in remembrance of him. How about Lucy? Lucy, I taught in China for three years. Lucy was my student. Um, She was a Yesu Ren, which means a Jesus person. She loved Jesus. Her family didn't. But all that to say is her sophomore year, she began to feel some pain. And that pain then got worse, and they went, and so it was cancer. They had to take her arm off. Lucy hoped for being a PE teacher. She was gentle and kind and loving and good with kids. It got worse and Lucy lost her life. She hoped for those things of being a teacher. But her ultimate hope was in Christ. And you know in the process, the people around her, her family, her friends who watched her with the hope she had, they began to take on that hope too. Because they realized Lucy's life is gone. But what she had in Christ is forever I could go on and on. And so my question for all of us here today is, for me too, is where is your hope? Because the word hope actually means confidence. Where is your confidence? What does the world say? What do you put your confidence in, right? Well, first question is, excuse me, what do you do? Your job, right? What you do? Well, I'm a lawyer. I'm a t- Oh, you're very important. What's your GPA? Where are you going to college? This is what the world puts their hope in. How about... What do you own? What type of iPhone? You have an iPhone 26? Right? Whatever it is. Uh, how big is your home? What kind of car do you drive? How about your appearance? Multi-billion dollar industry, right? Plastic surgery. The designer clothes we wear. This is what the world... How about the money we have? Right? Elon Musk. These are highly reputable people because of how much they have. What does the Bible say? The Bible says different. Jesus said, what does it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole world yet lose their soul? Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. And Proverbs says, charm is deceitful and beauty will pass away, but a woman or man who fears the Lord will be praised. And finally, the apostle Paul, who suffered much, said, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though our outer man's decaying, yet our inner man's being renewed day by day. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, or the things that are unseen. Or the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. So my question again, what will you do when all you've hoped for falls apart like some of these people? Because when our world falls apart and we face difficult times, all of us, what we put our hope in will be exposed. It'll be exposed. Mine's been exposed at times where I realize my hope is not fully in Christ alone. It's in these other things. So I want to take a quick look at a passage where some people have, their world has fallen apart. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 
1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Maybe it can be brought up and I'll read it to you. But again, this is a little different. I'm, I'm not going to exposit this fully. I'm just going to share some thoughts about it. Um, but I want you to be encouraged by these first century believers. First of all, just some background. The author. Who's the author of 1 Peter? Yeah, oh, very good. You think that was easy peasy, lemon squeezy. No, because you think Timothy. Is Timothy the author of Timothy? No, it's Paul, right? So it's not always, but Peter, he identifies himself. You guys, Peter is called the Apostle of Hope, actually. He's given that title, the Apostle of Hope. He will be crucified upside down, you know that. I think he said, if I say, you know, I heard about this fight that took place. I wasn't there, but you're like, well, Greg, you didn't see. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses to this. That's important. He said, we don't, are not making up tales here. We saw, I saw, I walked with Jesus. Liars make poor martyrs, right? Does that make sense? If you know, like if I told you, well, Brian, I could lift, I could deadlift a thousand pounds right here. Ugh! You guys would say, you're a liar, Lether. I'd say, oh, come on. You say, prove it. Oh, I don't need to. I can do it. But if you came up here and held a gun to my head and said, all right, Greg, you do it or we're going to kill. I know I can't. Guess what? I'm going to go, I can't do it. I don't know. The disciples didn't do that. Peter said, go ahead, I'm going to continue. They had nothing to gain. They saw a resurrected Savior. So know the author is an eyewitness to a resurrected Savior, Jesus. Second is your audience. It's important to know your audience, right? If you write a letter and you say, I love you, it's very different if your audience is your mom. I love you, mom. Or if you write your sweetheart, I love you. How, hubba, hubba, right? It's a very different meaning based on your audience, Right? So you've got to know your audience. So who is the audience of 1 Peter? Actually, these are new believers. They didn't grow up at Western Christian. They went to a public school. Right? They're new believers. A lot of them are Gentiles who right, don't know the Old Testament. Some of them do. There's Jews too. But these are new baby believers. That's important to know. How about the background, the historical background? Nero has just what? Burned Rome. You know this. 64 AD, he burned Rome. Who does he blame? The Christians. He wants to rebuild his name, but he burns it, and they're upset at him. Imagine if your home got burned up, and he goes, the Christians did it. And all of a sudden, these new baby Christians are said, we hate you. In fact, Nero is going to use them as torches in his, for his parties. Listen to this. This is from Tacitus, a historian. In the eyes of most people, Tacitus, who lived in the first century, right after Jesus, was the greatest Roman historian when writing in 116 about the burning of Rome in 64, he mentions Jesus. Commenting on Nero's cruelty toward Christians after the fire, Tacitus writes, Nero created scapegoats subjected to the most refined tortures, those who the common people called Christians, a group hated for their abominable crimes. Their name comes from Christ, who during the reign of Tiberius had been executed by the procurator Pontius Pilate. This is historical. This happened. These people were suffering. And so finally the purpose of this letter is to encourage these believers and to encourage you and me 2,000 years later. So let's read it together. Let me read it to you here. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'll read it in full. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even though now for a while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe him in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, I'm not gonna exposit this, but let me give you some thoughts on it. First of all, um, like I said, Peter is an eyewitness. Um, he had nothing to gain, but the reason he could die is because he had a what? It's called a living hope, something that was alive. It wasn't dead. The hope the world offers, it's going to pass away. It will burn up. There are only two things that will last, and that's God's word and people's souls. So today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a living hope. Do I have this kind of hope in a risen Savior that Romans 8, 38, 39 by Paul? He said, we're more than conquerors, for I'm convinced that neither, neither height nor depth, angels or demons, things present nor things to come, life or death, will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's a hope the world doesn't have. How about verse 4? He says, an inheritance that won't fade. I don't know about you, but when you get an inheritance, it's going to be gone. It'll, you'll spend, it's gone. But the inheritance we have in Christ is undefiled, incorruptible, imperishable. It's eternal. It's forever. Do you really believe that today? Do, do I? Because if it is, we got the best news ever. We got the best news ever, right? Good news. Peter's expressing a hope the world doesn't have. Life is called what? He said it's a, a vapor, a breath. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And yet, how much do we invest in this life and forget where our true hope is? Verse 5, right? The salvation of these young believers is being, it says, guarded. In other words, God will sustain you in your faith. It says it in Ephesians, right? He who began a good work will what? Will complete it. Oh, you ever wonder, oh, Lord, am I, am I yours? My son, he always questions, Dad, do I really? Son, nothing can separate. He, he has done it. It's not about what Greg does. If we never move from these seats... His love would be the same, right? That's the best news ever to my heart. When I begin to question, no, Lord, you said you'd begin a work in my heart. You'll complete it. Amen? Verses 6 and 7. These young believers will be mocked and hated and even killed for their faith, right? I've lived in countries where people can't worship out loud, where people have to sing like this, because if they're heard, they can go to jail, 2016, 90,000 Christians around the world were killed for their faith. That's one every six minutes. Maybe I've been laughed at or mocked. I've never suffered to the point of death like these believers, like our brothers and sisters around the world right now. I'm speaking to my own heart. Please know that. Nero will use them as his torches. Their faith is like gold, though. This is the neat part that I love. Gold is, is refined by boiling it. Boiling means we boil it and all the impurities come to the top. And then they skim off the dross and you're left with pure gold. That's our faith. 
So today you are, you may be going through things. You think this doesn't make sense. Why do you stand far off? Because he loves you. Because he wants your faith to be pure. Okay? To be, to be like pure gold. And so it proves, and this is the result. Listen to this. The result is praising glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Right now you take part in a heavenly battle. Because there's an accuser who says this. If you let this happen to Brian Holland, he will curse you. He won't trust you. And as Brian says, look, I don't like this, but though you slay me, yet will I trust you. It says in the heavenlies, the enemy is, he's put down right now. The accuser is put down. He said, he trusted. And you honor and honor God. And that will bring honor to him right now, as well as when he returns at his revelation. What a purpose for our sufferings, for our struggles. Amen. Finally, so these results. These people rejoice because they have a secure hope that will never fade. Two, their faith is proven like gold. They say, I really do love you, Jesus. Not just for the things you do for me, but for who you are. God, my God, my King. That's what he wants. A love relationship that's not based on anything that he does for us. Because he's, he's done enough. If he never does another thing for us, him dying on the cross is enough. And finally, ultimately, God is glorified on earth and in the heavenlies. So I, I share this, you guys, because my heart at times in my life, when I face struggles, I've been angry at God. And I think it's, we can be honest with God, but I've been angry to the point of, I was serving you and you let me down. Right? I was serving down in Latin America and I got sick and I got, and then the, I had a car accident and the girl I was dating broke, all these things. And I was like angry at God. Why? Because Somehow I had this sin of demandingness, entitlement that, God, you owe me. And I realized God owes me nothing. <laughs> he owes me nothing. His infinite love and wisdom is often using these things to strip me of my self-dependence, my self-reliance. That's what I'm seeing in my own life. He's slowly and painfully changing where I place my hope. Just like the first century people, I believe he was using those things for them to say, Lord, you're our only hope. All these other things are gone and going away. So maybe today that's you. Maybe you feel like, Lord, where are you? Right here. I love you enough, just like I did with Grace and her shot, to say, I'm going to use this so your eyes will be on me alone, right? He said, Greg, it's not about you. It's actually about bringing me glory and honor. <laughs> and so ultimately, it's about Jesus, right? He loved us so much. It says, Jesus, on our behalf, cried out, right? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatani. My God, why have you forsaken me? God, the Father, and God, the Son, who were together from eternity past, were separated. He turned his back on his son. Right? He did this for us. Right? I love him so much, and I think, thank you, Lord. That's why he sweat drops of blood, I think, because he knew I'm going to be He did that for us. It says, he who knew no sin became sin. He became sin so you and I could become the righteousness of God, clothed in his righteousness by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And when the Father looks at us, he sees not a sinful Greg, he sees the righteousness of his son. Oh, that's good news. We're clothed in his righteousness. It says, you were dead in your sins, but you've been made alive. Oh, I don't know about you, but dead people can't respond let me tell you a quick story. When I lived in Africa, I was a, a teacher there for missionary kids. And, and um, 
I actually then got to go. A student here has been in Africa for 20 years now. I got to take my son and daughter. Noah was two and a half. Grace was about four. And I took them, and we were driving in Uganda looking for an orphanage where maybe we were going to work. My wife is in the medical field. They want my wife more than me in many ways, right? They say, we'll take her. Great, you come along. All that to say is we get there, and we're looking. We're lost, and we go by this group of people, a mob there in a village. And then we drive by. And so my student, former student, he stops the van. He gets out, this Jeep we're in. And we look in down in there, and there's a man down in, and they're killing him. Mob justice. He'd been stealing from the village. And, and they had a rope around his neck and sand in his ears and a gash in his head, literally, you could put your fingers down into. And I remember my student yelled at all these people, and he said, you stop. You leave this man alone right now. And I thought, all right, we're all going to die now. I was scared. This guy taught me. They, they made a way. And we went, and he goes, let's get him, Greg. And we picked him up. And we brought him in and we put him in the back there. My son, two and a half, is sitting right in front of him like, la, 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 la. He has no idea this guy is dying behind him. We go to a little clinic there in the village. There's nobody there. There's two nurses. They don't know what to do. My wife in the medical field is going to sew this guy's head up with a needle and thread, right? I'm holding his head. And she says, Greg, you better sit down. I'm like, why? She goes, you look pretty white. Oh, man, I was about to go down. And so my student again, he said to me, Greg, Find him some water, and then I want you to write him a note. So I did. I, I went, and I found some water, and I found a piece of paper and pencil, and I wrote him a note. And I said something of this sort. I said, dear friend, today your life has been spared, but one day you will die. And there is somebody who has spared you for all eternity. Put your hope in him. And I put it on his chest. And as I got ready to go, a doctor showed up to someone. And we're, okay, we're going to leave. He looked up at me. He couldn't talk, but he said this. He said, he was telling me, thank you. As we left, I, I wept because I thought that was me. I was literally dead. I couldn't respond. And he came and he gave me new life. This is my hope. This is my joy. Think of somebody like Adoniram Judson. If there's anybody ever had a reason to lose hope, you maybe have heard of him. First missionary to Burma, Myanmar, right? Uh, and and, and uh, he was there for 40 years. In that 40 years, he buried two wives, six children, and 11 co-workers. Six children, two wives, and 11 co-workers. He saw 10 converts. Many years later, 150 or so years later, there was an intervarsity worker. They were looking at the Bible with these Burmese pastors that he had translate, helped translate. And this pastor, this worker, asked a Burmese pastor, what do you think of when you hear the name Adoniram Judson? The pastor began to weep, and he said, you know that today when we hear his name, we cry because we know what he suffered, he and his family. But today there are more than six million Christians in Burma. Every single one of us can trace our heritage back to Adoniram Judson. This man suffered. Maybe you're suffering today. There's hope. There's hope. I believe it over and over again. How about... Um, I believe that more often than not, it's our hopelessness and fear that drives us to put our hope in God alone. Let me read a few passages to you. I, I had them on that PowerPoint, but I'll read them to you if, you, if they're not. First one is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10. About 10 more minutes and I'll be done, but I just, um, you stop me if you need to. I don't know if, how long I should go, but listen to this from Paul. He said, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, this is for all of you. Thank you. Thanks, you guys, so much. 
the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, listen to this, we were crushed and overwhelmed. Does that sound like how you feel sometimes? It does me. Beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, listen to this, this is the key. We stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he'll rescue us again. We've placed our hope in him. Our confidence is our hope in him, and he will continue to rescue us. How about 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31? For you see your calling, brethren, here at Ignite City Church. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble. This is speaking of me, of us. But God has chosen, listen, the foolish of the world to put to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak, that's me, the weak things of the world to put shame the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in his presence. As it is written, he who glories, she who glories, let them glory in the Lord. Do you feel foolish or weak? I do most of the time. Praise God. Because it's in that that there's less of Greg and more of him, that I decrease and he increases, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. How about Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, a thorn in the flesh that the Lord said, no, you're gonna have this. I'm not taking it away. He said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, listen to this, I take pleasure in my infirmities and my reproaches and my needs, persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do we do this? Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, he becomes the most humble man as a shepherd. Joseph, 13 years in jail before he will deliver the... It's us. No, God, there's hope. It's not by accident. Um, let me tell you really quickly, one of my teachers, when I was in middle school, my English teacher, Mr. Falcons, he was a man who had polio as a young man. He got out of the iron lung that helped him breathe. His arms he could no longer use. And Mr. Falcons would go to this chalkboard and he'd swing his arm up. He would come up to me and say, could you please, Greg, clean my glasses for me? He couldn't even clean. I was happy. You bet. He drove his own car. He used his foot, his wheel. Back then he could take kids out in the car. He'd say, There's him. whoa, he was in a bowling league. He had a foot, a special shoe, and he, and he bowled really good, like as in 200. And then, you guys, he led the music at his church. This is a public school. I, was in, I said, how do you do that, Mr. Falcons? He picked up a, dun, dun, dun. this man taught me through his weakness. It was in his weakness, in his struggles, where I thought he impacted me. How about Western Christian, my freshman Bible teacher, Mrs. Schlenz? Mrs. Schlenz prayed for us. She loved us so much. She came in one day to pray for us, and all of a sudden, she started to cry. She began to weep. Remember, we got up, and we said, Mrs. Schlenz, what's wrong? These 14-year-old kids. She couldn't stop. She said, my husband left me today. We wept with her. We cried. You know, I watched this woman for the next four years. I never had her in class. I watched her as she would lead the worship in our chapels, and she continued to praise God in her struggles. He never came back. She died a number of years ago. But all that to say is, in her struggles is how my life was impacted. Maybe that's you today, right? And so um, I want to just tell you what I believe the answer is. And I believe the answer to, do, to doing this, to resting in 
this hope amidst your struggles is a word called abiding. Let me read this passage to you, okay? It's from John 15, 4 through 8, and I'll just read it. It says, Jesus says to us, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather throw them in the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you'll be my disciples. I, I want to encourage you. I'm going to almost finish up one last story, but abiding is not passive. It's actually be still and know that I am God and I'll be exalted among the nations. And Isaiah 30, 15, paraphrase says this, remember, your strength lies not in hurried efforts or ceaseless long hours, but rather in your what? Your quietness and your trust in God. As you abide, right? As you abide in, in um, the Lord, sit at his feet and take the word of God. And every morning I have many passages, 15, that, that I bring and I, just like Brian this morning said, he said, and I bring them forth and it's like, haven't I commanded you, Greg, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do not fear, Greg, for I'm with you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Greg, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Abide in these truths because the lies will keep coming, but you replace them as you sit at the feet of Jesus. And as those struggles come, you're like, Lord, thank you that nothing can separate me to abide there. So let me finish with this story about abiding, and then we'll thank you guys. Um, when I lived in Africa, um, I met, I was 37 when I left for Africa. I was teaching here, and I still was single. My family had kind of said, Greg is never going to settle down, right? He's never gonna. Kids would always ask me, Mr. Luther, why aren't you married? I'd be like, I don't know. I'd be like, Lord, have you forgotten me? I meet this sweet girl named Kathy a month before I leave, and I know this is the girl I'm going to marry. So I leave for Africa, and you guys, I'm a sick puppy dog. <laughs> I miss her so much. It was a hard year, but God used it. But all that to say is I was on the beach. I'd taken a little break to go to um, Mombasa, and I was doing some um, windsurfing there, some scuba, tough mission life, right? And these people on the shore, they're selling things, and all of a sudden, I hear this voice. Brother, come here, please, come here. Me? And I go over there, and this guy named Frank, he sold it. They called him Fair Frank, and, and he goes, you... You are a man who knows Jesus. Please tell me, how can I know Jesus? I was like, what? I said, how did you know? He goes, I watched you. I thought, this man knows Jesus. I was homesick. I was hurting. I had, so I shared the gospel with him. Just, this is Jesus loves you. He came and died. He, you know, I left back to Nairobi, came back right before leaving to go back to America. And, and I brought Bibles for all these guys on the beach to give to them. Frank's, I wrote my mom and dad's address in there because I didn't have a place here in America. I didn't have a home, right? And so I wrote that to him. And all that to say is I said to these guys, you guys, I'm going home to marry my sweetheart. And I don't think I'll ever see you guys ever again. Frank looked at me, you guys. I remember he said, I will see you again. I will see you again. I begin to, I was afraid to ask him, like, oh, are you kidding? Is that what I think he just, all that to say is then I went home. I married Kathy. We have a couple kids, right? Eight years pass. So, and we're going to then go 
to China. Like, in other words, I've been praying for Frank. I told Kathy about Fair Frank. I've been praying the last eight years for Fair Frank. I thought, I'd never hear from him again, but I'm going to keep praying for his heart. We're getting ready to leave for, for China to go. My daughter's six, son is four. We've sold everything, our cars. Uh, and and I'm, somebody came to me, a family member, and said, this is irresponsible. What do you, I begin to question. I was scared, guys, as a daddy, as a father. I thought, oh, if I'd done the wrong. Lord, I said, please, I'm scared. Please help me to know that, that this is right. We're supposed to do this. I need something. About a night later, we got home. Some people lent us a car. Old Betty, this old cat, we drove it back to our house. The kids were asleep. I brought them inside and put them in their beds. It was dark, but there was a letter on the table, the dining room table in our house over here in Upland. I picked it up. I turned the light on. It was addressed to my mom and dad, and it was from Africa. And I opened it up. And it was from Fair Frank. And it said, Dear Brother Greg, <laughs> I remember the day you shared Jesus with me. Since then, I have shared Jesus with many people. And I have an orphanage now. That I was just able to get this letter, to get this Bible, to get the address so I could let you know after all these years. We wept. We wept, right? Amen. Good news. Amen, right? No better. Because both Kathy and I thought, if it's for one person to go to China, it's okay, it's worth it. If it's just for fair Frank for me to live that year, right? And yet, the, 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 the wisdom is this. I wasn't doing anything but just abiding in Christ in my weakness. I felt impotent and weak in Africa often. And it was there that the Lord did a great work. So today, let's be people of hope right? I feel hopeless at times, right? And I love Jesus, but he's my hope. And more, the older I get, the more he becomes my hope. And so please don't be afraid to hope for these things. They're good. They're gifts from God, every good and perfect gift. But let's not put our hope in those things. Let's put them in Christ alone. Okay. Can I pray for you? And then Lord, thank you. My heart, um, you know, I'm preaching. Reaching to my own heart. Thank you. We long to see you, Jesus, more and more. As the day draws near, we, it's not by accident, Lord, that you would let these things come our way that remind us this is not our home. We're pilgrims, we're sojourners, Lord. So thank you for this body here that you've put here in this city. Oh, may they be beacons of hope to a broken world, Lord. We may die, Lord. We, we will suffer. You promised we would in the world there would be trouble, but take courage. You've overcome the world. So help them. Help me. Help us, Lord, to be, oh, Lord, ambassadors of hope in this world. That's what we long for, even if it costs us our lives. Um, in Jesus' powerful, precious name we pray. Amen.